You are now locked into Radio Juxtapose, the home of contemporary art and culture conversation. Coming up today. I think it's how it's how you plateau. And it's difficult because once you establish yourself as an artist, people, either you're kind of so busy that you don't have time to experiment because, you know, you've got shows you're working towards or got work you've got to produce. But also you, you can get pigeonholed a little bit or people kind of want you to produce work in a certain way. I did, man. I kind of forgot a little bit like how important it is to give yourself space to fail and giving yourself time, time to fail as well. This is Radio Juxtapose. Over the last decade, no art movement has exploded the way that contemporary muralism has. Artists from all ranges of the artistic spectrum fly to far-reaching corners of the world to spill paint over strangers' walls. And for years it looked like there was nothing capable of slowing this wave down. Then, of course, COVID-19 came along. In 2020, the pandemic has all but shut down this pocket of the art world. So where does that leave those building a legacy on it? Our guest on today's episode of Radio Juxtapose has found himself at the forefront of this practice, spending large periods of the year living a seemingly nomadic life. Today, we're in conversation with the Australian painter Fintan McGee. Like so many on this podcast, graffiti was Fintan's gateway drug. Letters then became figures and concepts started to evolve. Through his practice, Fintan visualizes the realities of the often marginalized, whilst giving a surreal touch to the everyday. This isn't the first time Juxtapose magazine's Evan Preco and myself Doug Gillen have sat down with Fintan to discuss the state of contemporary muralism and the role of the street artist, but this is definitely the first time we've done it sober. Fintan's aptly titled latest exhibition, Nothing Makes Sense Anymore, is running at the Backwoods Gallery in Melbourne until December 20th, and we highly recommend checking it out if you can. Enjoy the episode. Yeah, so what what is it what is Fenton Scott McGee doing on a well, I guess it would be a Wednesday evening for you setting up the show. Like where what's what what uh what phase are you at right now? Framing and hanging tonight. Yeah. We got the preview tomorrow evening, so we gotta we gotta be pretty close to done tonight and then we're just gonna be sweeping the floors and shit tomorrow so but the canvases are finished yeah 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 that's a good yeah. start yeah it's you can tell because i'm covered in paint man looking real professional and uh, I'm, I'm doing like a little bit of painting on one of the installs in here so i'm gonna finish tonight and then everyone else is just hanging the paintings around me so how's your sweeping skills are you a good sweeper yeah i'm a real good sweeper yeah. Okay. Just curious. I've often wondered that myself. <laughs> the shoulders, shoulder muscles, man. I'm a good cleaner, but I'm a fairly bad sweeper. No, I'm a shit shit cleaner, but a good sweeper. <laughs> the perfect combo. Yeah, yeah. We should team up one no, day. But what what is it? I can't wait. I can't wait. I, I can I can also replace toilets if you need that. That's another story. Uh what what is a preview like in Melbourne uh during a pandemic? Like what's up? What's going on? We, we've had zero cases for 28 days here. So we came, like, uh, Victoria came out of lockdown, like, just before I, I got down here, actually. And they're starting to wind things back to normal pretty quickly. So we can have, I think it's, like, one person per three square meters. And so I think we worked out we can have 50 people in the gallery at any one time. So we're going to have to kind of do a bit of a shuffle and rotation for the opening night. The other thing that's kind of weird is you can't drink booze if you're standing up. You gotta like, so all the bars here have like table <laughs> service. Yeah. That's so you gotta like sit down. That's the most Australian thing I've ever had. I know, I know. Well, were you so standing? Like, uh, is that a beer? Did you standing? just fall off sit the table? Sit down, sir. <laughs> yeah, you're about to glass someone in the face with that. Uh, nah, so I don't, know, we're not, I don't know how we're gonna work out the, the booze situation. Cause there's like a little bit of seating out the back. Um, so the good thing is if people aren't drinking, then hopefully they leave quickly and we can kind of like shuffle people through. They'll just look at the Wait, art and can, go, can you, go to the can bar. You, can you repeat that you can't drink if you're standing up? Yes. So basically okay. bars are open, but everyone has to sit down. 
and the waitress has to like bring you the drink. Mm. I guess they're like trying to discourage people dancing together. That's the only like logical reason I can think. And I guess if people are standing up, they can crowd around a bar and give each other the virus. So by sitting down at a table, I guess there's a bit of distance. That's yeah. the only logical thing I can think of. We have but, we, uh, we we come out of our lockdown today, and our our our, our pubs are sort of semi-opening. And the thing that we, we have to do is we're allowed to drink, except we have to have a substantial meal with it. So all the debates in the UK have been over what constitutes a substantial meal. The MPs have been debating about the size of a scotch egg that would cons- constitute a, a, a substantial meal. It's like, <laughs> this is where we are, man. <laughs> this is where we are. So you can't just crack a bag of like fucking bag of crisps. Bag of or- crisps. You, it yeah. is, it's three that, three minimum three minimum per beer yeah or like a big bag how many do they count calories i, I don't know i'll have one substantial meal and 18 beers please i love these new rules i love all these new rules because they are being made on the fly by yeah. politicians who have no idea what they're doing yeah 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 it's yeah, it's it's all just like it's it's all a big experiment. It's fun to watch, but um, <laughs> it's, it's working for us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's fun to watch. But we're kind of lucky down here, man. We've barely had any cases. All those um, years we've been laughing at how far away you are, and well, here we are, <laughs> boots on the other foot. No, <laughs> is life kind of picking back up and quite normalized for you, or is it still quite still quite on edge? It's yeah, it's getting back to normal. I mean, everyone's still wearing masks down here. Uh, Sydney, less so. Um, but I heard like over in like Western Australia and like New Zealand, like it's just totally normal. Like no, it's nobody's doing anything, which is kind of scary because if they have a like a if they have like a quarantine breach, because they still have people in hotel quarantine over there that are coming back from overseas. Um, so if they have a ho- quarantine breach they're kind of fucked but they just like new zealand and western australia are just 100 percent banking on keeping their borders closed and just keeping everybody out basically um which you could which you can do when you live in perth and you're in like the most isolated city in the world so what we're talking about it the show has yeah quite largely been influenced by the pandemic that was um, a question. <laughs> it was sort of a question. So let me rephrase that. To what extent has the pandemic played a part in this new show of yours? I wouldn't say it's like intentionally like I fucking themed it around the pandemic or anything, but it was like that's the environment I was working in. So mm. um, it, 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 it was kind of inevitable that it would rub off in, in the work in some way. Um Yes, I would say it's a response to the working conditions more than like a pandemic-themed exhibition, man. That's a bit dark. I I don't know if I'm ready to build a body work around that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's too soon, man. Give that a couple of years. What was that line? You said that line, though, in Selena's film about how maybe 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 there is no like theme of this year or like that uh, the theme is just kind of chaos and uncertainty and it like it doesn't there's no like there's no way to like encapsulate this year in some sort of like perfect template yeah and i I mean that kind of just came about because um once again it was just like the practical reality of how i was working because you know um you know i was planning to be in europe working on murals in june and all that fell through i was like oh fuck it i guess i'll just stay in and paint canvas then um, I was planning to have an exhibition in, in April that got cancelled. Um, so I was like, fuck it, I'll get, do you know what I mean? So because everything was so frantic and every, like, it was so hard to plan the year, the paintings kind of just became kind of choppy like that. Do, do you know what I mean? Well, but um, at what time, did, what, so, what point did you buy uh, the potted plant this year? Yeah, that was, that was obviously the, the star of this new show, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. I, that was pretty much, Your muse. that was one of the first things I, yeah, my muse. <laughs> It's that lonely pop plant, man. That was um, that was uh, like one of the the first things we did was just go by like just decorate the apartment a little bit more because it's nothing because it was just bored, man. Um, and then uh, I took yeah, I, I I wasn't able to photograph um models at all because obviously social distancing, everyone was locked down. 
and I spent the first week just doing nothing, man, just staring at the TV like everybody else. Um, and yeah, getting super bored. But luckily I was still able to go to the studio. So I ended up just like, just out of boredom, just being like, all right, I guess I'll just do some still life paintings and, um, and just photograph some of the plant life that was on my balcony. More than anything, just to pass time, I just decided I was just gonna paint the same pot plant every day and just allow it to become like a kind of daily meditation. And uh, each, each painting became like, you know when you like, you're in, like you see prisoners kind of putting the notch on the wall? Do you know what I mean? Each painting became like a notch on the wall. I ended up with like 31 paintings. And um, yeah, so basically each one kind of symbolizes a day in lockdown. And and I guess it kind of, there was just that narrative of me trying to keep this plan alive, which kind of um, became kind of the narrative of the lockdown. And it, it really helped with like my mental health and stuff as well. So they're just a bunch of pop plant paintings, but they, they do have a kind of a, a narrative to them, which I quite, quite, I'm quite happy with, you know? Yeah, they, they feel like they have had purpose. I know Doug will have an articulate question, but I have like a question that just came up yeah. in, in your answer. Yeah. Uh, you travel the world a lot. You work a lot. You're, you're a pretty busy yeah. guy. Um, what is like, when was the last time you were bored? And I mean that like, it, it, yeah. I feel like you're somebody who's pretty active in his, in his craft, in his, you know, in, in work. But boredom is something yeah. that you mentioned, and I, I can't imagine you're you're often bored. So like, when was the last time you were bored before this? Man, I think the last time I was really bored was probably before the internet existed. That's like, <laughs> like the last time, like I remember just being a kid, and like you wouldn't have school on Saturday. Sport would you'd have sport or something in the morning. You come home at like one in the afternoon. And it'd be like car racing was on TV and that, that was it. And like, I, I remember like sitting on the couch with literally nothing to do. And I swear like now that everybody has like high powered information machines in their pocket, like I just don't get bored like I used to. So, but the, in the, like in the pandemic that was worse cause I should have been bored. But instead of being bored, I was like reading the news and just filling my head with anxiety. So like, there's this, this is, I don't know, there's this, there's a downside of not being bored and that's just you're constantly, constantly stimulated. For kids growing up in this new generation, it's so mad because like, you know, remember like when you had to drive for like eight hours with your parents and you know, these kids now are just sitting like, just ding, 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 like constantly on their, their iPads or something like that. I wonder if yeah. this idea of being bored is just something that maybe just won't exist. I think it might, I, th I think so. Yeah, I, I can't remember. Like, I literally, like, the last time, if I sit back and think about it, the last time I was truly bored was, like, 12 years old and I, the internet wasn't widespread yet and I didn't have a smartphone. Because that must dictate, like, where artists take their direction a little bit, allowing themselves that space to be bored. I think, Doug, you're getting into, like, what I was trying to get at. It's, like, this idea of, like, in your boredom, you ended up finding a really, really interesting thread to, to get you through this period of time. Yeah. So you weren't really bored at all. And that's kind of cool to. Yeah. I would say it's the closest I've been to boredom in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I, I did, I like, you do have to turn the TV off eventually and stop reading the news. Cause you, I was so full of anxious. When, when, that, when we started our conversations, yeah. Fintan shared his screen with me. And first thing that popped up was the YouTube ultimate superhero showdown experience. And it was a 15 minute <laughs> super cut of superheroes. <laughs> so so nah, there's no was such thing like, as boredom wow. anymore. Yeah. No, it's a nerd podcast I, li I listened to. And it's like, it was two nerds debating who would win in certain superhero showdowns. Like, from from different universes, like would Batman beat Terminator? It's it's, it's holy shit! Man. That it's is like, well, that which, is deep. Which, yeah. Terminator, which Terminator though? Exactly, in which Batman? Oh my god! Not you Batman's, as well, Evan. Not you as well. <laughs> <laughs> that was not the response I was looking for there. You know, that's actually one thing I haven't done during the pandemic. I haven't watched one superhero movie or any sort of like action entertainment at all. Really. Why is that? Do you reckon? No, I don't know. I've been I've been uh, catching up on all the stuff that I've always wanted to watch that I haven't like watched over the past couple of years. So 
like document. I don't know. It's been it's been weird. But now that you mentioned superheroes, I think I'm gonna go dive right in. Yeah, I think it's a good time for escapism for sure. So it's like the, what those movies are good for, I guess. Because actually, like they're the kind of movies I just watch on planes. Definitely plane movies. It's, yeah, 100%. they're like the, the best plane movies. I haven't fucking been. I haven't been on a plane all year. Yeah, so maybe there's something to that. Just talking about that, then during this period, has this you are international and this has been a period where you've just been kind of grounded and how has that made you think about what happens after this how you come out of this will it be back to business as usual or are you trying to restructure what happens when normality hits i kind of naively thought i'd like be back to traveling in like september Hmm. I think we all thought it was like, oh, it'd be a couple of weeks. Yeah, that was. I guess maybe that was everyone. Yeah, that's a, that wasn't naive. I think that was. The but yeah, I thought three months would be fine. So now, now they're saying, I don't know, maybe middle next year, uh, we'll be able to travel again if if you get vaccinated and get like a vaccination card, or who knows how it's going to work. It's impossible to say, man. Like it's just so hard to plan. So I'm just like, um, just going to take it as it comes. The cynical part of me at one minute was like, all right, this is like the death of the industry as we know it. Uh, it'll never be normal again. Wait, what industry do you mean? First of all, I'm like, you know, is the economic fallout going to, you know, embody the galleries and, you know, are people going to be able to fund mural projects or public art anymore? I don't think it's going to be that bad. I think it'll pick up again pretty quickly. Whether I go back to traveling and like painting a lot of walls again, I'm not too sure. I've actually, one thing I've learned is I've just kind of really enjoyed just being like grounded. Every time we've met, you've been like in the thick of it. And I actually, that was the first thing I noticed when I saw the video, when Selena's video popped up, I was like, damn, he looks rested. This is the first thing. This is the first time I've seen Finn where he just looks he looks he's looking sharp. He's looking he's looking fit. He's looking rested. I was like, oh my god, I've never met that Finton. Because every time we've met, it's been like you know, like in the middle of six back to back projects, you know, from here to there to there. Yeah. And it's been like huge walls and we're both just yeah. fucked. Yeah. I've actually been getting like haircuts this year. Shit like that. Like basic basic hygiene. It's been great, man. I've been loving it. Do you think you could see yourself staying a little bit more of a house cat? I think so. Yeah, definitely. Just try and like plan it, plan it out better. So maybe just do anything, you know, five, four or five murals a year overseas. So I'm just like going away never more than like a month at a time. Because it was getting kind of stupid, man. I remember like 2016, 17, I was, I would just hit the road and just be like painting on the road for like three months. Do you know what I mean? And um, just like back-to-back projects and yeah, it takes it Did out. Did you feel burnt out? Like that, that, that amount of traveling. Yeah, I felt burnt out and I feel like the quality of the work suffered a little bit on occasion, you know, because I wasn't developing things as much as I should have been. I wasn't kind of, um, you know, it's, it, it is fun traveling because like, you get to be like kind of spontaneous in some ways and you kind of get to kind of react to the moment a little bit and sometimes that, uh, that benefits the work, um, but also sometimes it can, um, yeah, it can be hard to develop works properly. You know, where, particularly when you're working on a on a tight time frame, you got a, you got another flight to the next like another another fucking eighty foot silo or whatever eighty meter silo or whatever it is. And you got like you got three weeks to paint it, and it's just like it's just it, it's a bit ridiculous. Um, so if it, yeah, I think it's definitely I'm gonna chill out a bit and just try and manage things a little bit better. It's interesting because, like, as somebody who works as a contemporary social realist, especially on when you're working in public, have you given any thought about what that's going to mean for you or what that's going to look like when this is over? Because the idea, like, some of the ideas that you've been painting on the streets, um, like, that sort of we haven't really been on the streets that much in the last 12 months. So there's going to be this conversation is going to be a little bit different i mean have you thought about even what your first murals will be like if i mean if whether it's in sydney whether it's in melbourne or anywhere else yeah not really i mean like the location is gonna the location i need to make the work in is probably going to inform that a little bit i mean you've still been painting some murals recently i've done a couple in australia they keep closing borders over here which makes it like really strange so we had like a little four-week window where I was able to fly to Queensland 
and I got like a painting done in Brisbane and they like closed the border while I was up there. So you had to stay there? No, I was able to fly back, but because the cases were in Sydney. Oh, okay. Sydney had COVID and like Brisbane did So you're like, yay. So Brisbane was just like, yeah. So I was just like flying back to the belly of the beast. So that was like, it's a strange feeling, man. Like, fly, you know, flying interstate and just knowing like you're not going to be able to go home. Because my parents are in, in Brisbane, you know. So it's like, oh, I don't know when I'm going to be able to cross the, the border again and see my parents, even though they're like just a few hours away and we're in the same country. It's, it's, it's a weird, yeah, it was a weird. But your feeling. country is giant. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you felt yourself using this time? You kind of touched on this earlier. Have you felt yourself using this downtime to just really refine your technical craft? Yeah, I mean, just even painting the same pop plan every day. Like, I got pretty good at it by the like the end. It's interesting watching the first ones because they're like a bit like sh- shonky. <laughs> so anyone wanting to buy one should buy number 31 or 30 <laughs> rather than the first <laughs> yeah, or yeah, second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just work your way backwards. Before you go and explain that a little bit, what do you mean that it got that you got good at it? Because you're a good painter. So like, what what is to you? What is what does that mean? I guess just like repetitions, informative in a way. And uh, I don't know. I just I just got it down. So the first one took me like maybe six hours, and then by the end I was painting them in like four hours, five hours. Do you know what I mean? So maybe it's just my like my preference or my eye, but like I swear to God, like the ones the last ones I did were, were better than the first ones I did. I, I believe that. It's muscle memory, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of, it was weird. I wonder if I try to paint a different pot plant now. It's going to be real shitty. You're going to feel, you're going to feel like you're cheating on your other one. <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're only allowed to paint that one plant. <laughs> this single pot plant. What's informing this color palette? Because it's, it's, there's a, a, a whole lot of blue there. Is that, for, is that for something or do you just really like the way that it feels and looks? I mean, it looks incredible. It does look so good. It's more an aesthetic choice, really. Also, like, I'm actually, like, colorblind. So, for me, it's easier to just stick with a palette. Really, I should just paint all gray. I'm a colorblind buddy, too. Um, uh, do you know what the, my favorite thing is when you when you tell someone you're colorblind? They just go, oh, what color is this? What color is this? You're like, yes. You're pointing at the grass. I know it's green. I just don't know it's the same green that you see. What color is the sky? That's the classic one. It's like, oh, come on, man. Come on. <laughs> every single time so what do you know what it is you can't see uh i can't see red very okay. well so you stick to your blues yeah i can't see purples very well um like violets just look blue to me and like certain shades of brown just look green because i can't really see the red in them but if it's like a really like like a warm red i can see it it's just like the some of the shades in between confuse me yeah it's, it's real annoying I don't understand what you guys are talking about because if you're colorblind, you really don't ever know what color anything is. So how do you ever, how do you even know the sky is blue? It's fine if you don't know it's blue. It doesn't matter. It is when you're trying to portray the sky. If you don't know it internally, but if you're Finton trying to paint a canvas of the sky and everyone else is going, why the fuck is it red? Yeah, it has happy little, happy little accidents. No, but it's not like I see in black and white. Man. Oh, did you just drop a Bob Ross on us? Yeah, I did. I, did, I think that's the best thing that's happened. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was just going to say you guys are both just artistic in your minds. You can do whatever you want. I was trying to give you guys compliments, but, but basically. I, no, know. it's weird because I kind of had to learn color theory very in a very quite a literal way. Do you know what I mean? So I just kind of. Uh, but you, but you gravitate, you're gravitating yeah, towards the keeping it monochromatic. Right it just makes, I don't know. I just, I'm just really happy with how they're looking, but that's like a, that's an aesthetic choice. It's not necessarily part of the concept. For this show in particular, was there, is there a difference for you when you're kind of creating for canvas for a show as opposed to painting on a wall or a surface in the public? Well, I guess like, like there's just a lot more freedom when you're working in, in the studio. Do you know what I mean? Um, I just had like a, a like a mural design knocked back, like for a mural that I'm painting next year because it had like nudity in it. Do you know what I mean? Um, and you don't have to deal with that kind of shit in the studio. You just kind of like... Have you have you had much of that before? Have you done much nudity in your paintings or in real life? Not really. No. <laughs> That's why it's in, in, in real life. Or in, or in real Are you life. even wearing pants just now? <laughs> <laughs> Wearing overalls, man. What do you think these? What do you think this is strapped to, bro? Um, I'm, I'm in. A, I'm basically in a onesie. He's jazzy onesie. Okay. 
<laughs> uh, no, nah, not really. That's why it's annoying. So I was like, I'll do a nude. And then they're like, no. Like, okay. And that was the end of that conversation. But that was, <laughs> yeah, cool. That was the end of that conversation. So, um, yeah, but it's, it's more, you just get to, you just do it as if, as if, as if, as, as you feel it. You know what I mean? When you're painting murals and working in public, there is kind of, um, different stakeholders involved and, you know, community guidelines you got to deal with. You deal with some pretty serious themes though, within your work. Has that ever become a problem? Not really, but yeah, you just kind of like push it as far as you can within the framework of public art. Do, do you know what I mean? Um, well, I mean, you, you were generally always on the side of the people. So the people that are going to get the most upset would be more of like the authorities or like the people who, I, I don't know, I feel like those once it's up on the wall, I feel like the community probably likes it quite much. It would just be like, um, I don't know, like the people who maybe grant you permission that might not have liked it as much. Yeah. The people have paid for it. I don't know. No, I think like, um, there's, there's always like one dickhead. You know? <laughs> it's, it's always like one person that complains. doesn't matter. Like, doesn't matter what you do, uh, in terms of painting in the street, but yeah. Yeah, it's the irony of uh, being a social realist. It's that you are you actually, if you would paint kitty cats, no one would say anything. But if you actually are trying to do something that's historical and and respectful to the people that came before, you get the most shit. It doesn't make any sense to me, but that's where we're at. I think in every country, that's where we're at. Yeah, because like, it's like a tough one because I like some of my work involves like some sort of um, community engagement or kind of you know historical research or something. And when you kind of do that, like sometimes people feel left out. I would say like that's the, the biggest complaints I've had is like, mm. oh, like this symbolizes that, but you forgot this. What was what was the hardest decision that you've had to make in regards to that? I can't think of like a particular decision, like anything that stands out. I do remember like a, like a, like a Russian, like ex-military guy when I was painting in Moscow um calling like the like current affairs and so they were complaining that i was like they thought i was american um and they were just like any any street art is like american culture and this is like american propaganda so like like why aren't you painting like a like a guy with a russian flag or something oh really um and he, he got pretty full-on man he was like <laughs> he's throwing my paint around and stuff whoa they like yeah, they like ripped up. They like ripped up all my drop sheets. They're like yelling at me, like in Russian. My assistant had like ducked out to go get something, so I was kind of like alone and like the, the, you know, completely incapable of communicating with them. Uh, they called the news, and then like the news came down. Um, I was up the lift, and they were trying to get me down for an interview. And then like this old lady was yelling at me. It was like, yeah, here's my gift to you all. <laughs> what was that mural? I don't remember what that was. It was in uh, 2014. No, no, but what was the actual mural that you painted? Like, what caused such a? Uproar? It was like a, a painting of like a woman with a bottle. And he also said like the bottle was like it, it was triggering because I don't know, he knows an alcoholic, which makes sense if you're, if you're Russian. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I think he said I was taking the piss saying like, you know, making fun of, of Russians and their vodka drinking, which was 100% not my intention, but... Well, at least they took the time to read the art as opposed to just going, that's a pretty picture. Maybe that says something else about the Russians. They're, they're like always looking for the interpretation of what the what, what, what they're looking at. Of what, what, what it means. Yeah, that, I guess that's, that's, that's definitely true. If more art critics would just occasionally show up to a show, get a little upset, and maybe rip something up, I don't know, we might have a more interesting world. I think so. How do you feel about the culture of contemporary muralism? You're a man that spends a lot of time researching when you go turn up to a location to paint and i know that about you and then on the same you know festival or the same you know bracket you've got people that just couldn't care less and it's not that one's right or one's wrong but does that make you feel anything no i think people can just you know i don't want to tell people the right or wrong way to make work if i ever get frustrated it's more at the kind of curatorial level and like the funding models are starting to become pretty frustrating as well because it's like um, I don't know, like, uh, 
I could see some diplomatic cogs turning in your head there. You were like, how do I say this without getting cancelled? <laughs> yeah, yeah, without like burning any bridges. Yeah, sometimes people like, you know, property developers or, you know, certain people come, come in uh, without the, the best intentions and they don't really care about the art. Particularly the American projects can occasionally be frustrating because they're happening in inner city areas that are perceived as dangerous or whatever, and they think if they put murals on the street, that's going to make the neighborhood, you know, more appealing. And quite often it's, it's, it's just real estate agents are looking for a cheap way to kind of make a buck. You know what I mean? Do you think that's going to hit a tipping point? I guess we've got to wait and see. I mean, the Australian property market has just been so, like, so insane that, like, developers don't really need to spend money on murals to gentrify an area. Do you know what <laughs> You know what I mean? Uh, so who knows what will happen in Australia? It's going to be hard to say, man. But I mean, artists have always had an awkward relationship with money. And uh, that's something that's been, that's been a reoccurring theme throughout all art, art history. You know, at least I'm not relying on like the church for commissions. You should do that. You should tap up, you should <laughs> tap up the commissions. church. Get some old proddies down. <laughs> <laughs> See what awkward yeah. cath- Catholic conversation you can have. Good, good and well in Glasgow. Uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I was, I'm actually curious because you, you said you yeah. just kind of brought it up. Um, that yeah. artists always, always have this kind of awkward relationship to money, no matter what. Um, yeah. Knowing that we kind of live in this universe where there is so much money towards gentrification and then occasionally, uh, they want murals, but I kind of agree. There's certain yeah. places in the United States that don't even need murals anymore for gentrification. It's just happening. Um, yeah, yeah. What are like what, we always talk about like the negatives of it, but like what are what are some ways that artists can like equip themselves to make better decisions around these sort of uh, projects? Because occasionally someone needs a paycheck. Let's be honest, and like also also like at a, at a community level. I mean, the other thing you, you don't want to do is because sometimes like developers try like if developers are going to build a block of apartments in a neighborhood anyway, them spending money on public art isn't necessarily a bad thing. Do do you know what I mean? It's better that they spend a bit of money on art or build, you know, put a sculpture in or rather than just build a generic block of apartments. But there's an important position within there that an artist can take. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And also the other thing is when it gets kind of ugly is when the artist becomes like, I've seen a few projects where the artist has kind of become cannon fodder for a gentrification project. And that's something you'd have. Yeah. You'd be pretty cautious. I'd be pretty cautious of if I was an up and coming artist and that's not going to happen. That's not always going to happen, but I mean, just, just an example is like there was a, a public art project happening for the, there's a, a massive block of towers. That, they're a public housing block in central Sydney in, in Waterloo. Very kind of iconic, classic public housing built in the 1940s. There's like two towers and a whole bunch of like very just kind of bland concrete blocks. But they have a real, there's a strong community there and they've been like a, a, a incredibly important for, for, you know, poor people and, and the working poor and the welfare class in Australia for a long time. And they've now kind of, they're selling the block off and they're going to demolish the towers, rebuild kind of new, this kind of new mixed development. That's kind of like mixed. What's the percentage of that, that mix? Cause we get that in London all the time and they're like, we, oh, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be both. And it's like 5% or something. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly, exactly. That's when it starts to get really dodgy. Also they put this clause in where any resident that gets like three complaints against their name for making noise or whatever, they get kicked out, which means it's not really social housing because if there's people in there with mental health issues or do you know what I mean? So this is, it's pretty dodgy. And you know, we got, we got asked to come down and kind of like just have a community consultation about painting a mural on, on, on the tower in the year before they tore it down. So the mural would have only survived two years, but it would have been. And uh, we went to like one community, like there was one community consultation and like, um, you know, like we're kind of like asking like, you know, what what do you want out of this? And they're just like, just please just don't. You can paint whatever the hell you want on it. 
as long as they just don't pull the towers down. Yeah, like people started yelling at us and shit, and it was just like within like 20 minutes, you just know. Like when something like that happens, that's when you know you got to like pull pull the plug. We had a very similar thing in London with um, property developers doing doing that painting on on the buildings, and then they were the same ones that were ripping them down, and then completely redeveloping it. And it's just like this totally fake version of social outreach but i think it's really important for artists to be talking about this because like you were saying you know it, it would be young artists coming up can be used as as fodder for this and unless people are having these conversations they they, they don't have the the knowledge and the experience that an expe a seasoned you know artist like yourself has about how this mechanism works so you know it's really 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 increasingly important for artists that are participating in this to continue to talk about this and to challenge to find not to shut it down but to find the the, the best ways for these projects to continue to exist i think so yeah and the things can be done in the right way um 100 percent. so yeah i wouldn't like it's it's not to get discouraged but um yeah like i said it's important to be able to spot those red flags in the beginning and you can you can kind of read people's intentions in the first meetings if it's a, if it's a developer or council outreach or you know um you know festival organizer yeah and i've just kind of learned it's hard man because sometimes it's it's a paycheck involved and particularly when you're starting out it's 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 difficult man but i've just kind of learned that's yeah sometimes it's better to pull the plug early than get halfway through it and go oh man this actually maybe this isn't going to work out but luckily, I mean, those kind of nightmare scenarios don't come along that often, really. Most of the time, um, you know, painting in public is actually pretty, pretty positive experience. So, When did you sort of feel like painting in public and your studio practice? Like, when did you start feeling this was kind of the path that you were going to be able to take for the rest of your life? Like when, I mean, I know maybe there's always a little bit of uncertainty but when when did you hit your your kind of your groove i don't know i mean i started out as a as a graffiti writer and um even as young like i remember when i was like 12 years old there was like a a, a graffiti writer uh, nice um from brisbane who was a member of acr crew anyone who knows brisbane graffiti history might remember him but he actually came and painted a mural on uh the back wall of my high school and I remember like clocking, I remember like talking to him and having conversations and I was like doing some, like I was kind of started doing some like little graffiti sketches in my sketchbook and he was like pretty supportive. He must've only been like 23 at the time, but I remember just kind of like asking him how much he's getting paid, what's he doing this for? And I remember thinking like, that was like the first time I was like, oh, you can actually make a living out of this. It was a legal piece that he had done for, for the school. It yeah, wasn't like he had just for come. The school. That's a cool school. It was pretty cool, yeah. And like our, our school was on the train line, so it was already kind of like like graffiti was pretty was happening pretty regularly. So I kind of like developed an, an obsession with it from a young age. Was never like super like interested in making money, but like it was always in the back of my head that it, theoretically you could kind of make a living off it. And then when I was in my late teens, early twenties, I went to art school. Where was that? Queensland College of Art in Brisbane. I was still writing graffiti at the time, but I was kind of like, I remember kind of like looking at like the the infrastructure that was in place for the artists to actually kind of like make a living. It was just fucking, it just seemed really difficult in the sense that like, I mean, in Australia, you've got, you've got, you've kind of got like a, a whole bunch of art prizes, for example, you know, like the Archibald prize and the, um, I guess the, the British equivalent would be like, you know, like the Turner Prize, something like that. I don't know what they have in the US, but all the kind of students were talking about entering that. And it just seemed like just like such a fucking lottery to like win one of those prizes. And then if you win one of those prizes, you can get like recognized by a gallery. And then, you know, maybe if you're lucky, you can like have a career. And that just seemed like just such a like bizarre long shot. And I don't know why, just like the just street art just seemed like a much more accessible world you know at that time i was kind of like looking at artists like kind of roa um uh connor harrington you know a skiff and it's kind of like watching what they were doing it was like oh mate like you know i could do i, mean, I can paint on the street 
at that time were you still doing graph or did you start to start to just move into something a little different i was just kind of starting to move into something different and what was so that? for me it kind of yeah what did it look like was it always figure uh it was kind of yeah figurative because i was doing like i was just like learning the classical painting techniques at art school but then i was doing graffiti on the side and so it kind of just it was kind of a matter of taking the oil paintings i was doing um on the on on canvas at, at school and then just taking them outside onto the street and they were just like just faces and portraits and shit it was i hadn't really worked out like any concepts yet i was just like i want to be able to paint like a figure and it to look not wonky that looks like the thing that i'm trying to paint <laughs> yeah no, so, not wonky uh, no, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like- <laughs> Good uh, review. <laughs> Good review all around. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw 30 plants yeah. in the show. None of them were wonky. Nice. He's come a long yeah. way, has Fintan. <laughs> a couple of them were wonky, I'm not going to lie. But uh, uh, yeah, so it wasn't like I was doing anything special, but I don't know why. Like, I guess, yeah, uh, that was a really fucking long answer to that question. I kind of forgot what it was to begin no, with. No, but, but actually, but, actually, I have a, I have a, we, we were talking to- um, Balder Helgeson the other day about um like learning yeah. about art in Iceland and he was talking yeah. about how they they teach you in Iceland that like everything has to be just like it's just conceptual it's just like yeah it, but like in yeah. Australia what are they what it, what is like the the general theme in art school like it's if is it conceptual is it landscape is it like what is like the kind of core of Australian art, especially in like the uh, late stages of the 20th century and early 21st century? Um, it actually depends what art school you go to. So like there were in, in, in Brisbane, in my home city, there was two art schools. Uh, one was called QUT and the other one was uh, the Queensland College of Arts, which I went to. And when I came in, QUT had just scrapped all its traditional mediums. So it didn't do painting anymore. It didn't do sculpture anymore. Everything was like uh, new media. So photography, film, um, basically everything was conceptual. So I remember looking at that and being like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Turn it up with your brushes like, uh. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for that. Also, actually, it was kind of a weird way of justified doing it because they said that we want people to learn about video art and, and new media because that's going to be the, the future of jobs in a way. So even even if you can't become an artist, you still know how to edit the video. Do you know what I mean? So you have like practical skills you can use to get a job. So it didn't feel like- Prepping you for the real I world said, in I there. See, I see Doug smiling <laughs> <Yeah>. over there. <laughs> yeah. This isn't yeah. like a real thing, but there's a job at the end of it. Like this isn't art, but yeah. there's a job here. There's a trade. Yeah. You may be able to like get some actual skills you can use in the real world. Because none of you, know, you are gonna make it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, we'll take your money. Still... Yeah, we'll take your money. So I, was like, I don't know if that's like the best way to go into like an art school. So I actually I went to quick QCA and they uh, focused a lot more on like the technical uh, painting process. Uh, you kind of did learn technical things, but also a lot of it was theory based. So you you, you were painting, but you still kind of had to show that you were developing concepts and kind of playing with ideas and it wasn't just about you know technical painting, stuff painting yeah perfectly yeah um i would say there's yeah there's there's a balance and also like australia seems a little bit behind in conceptual art in, in general like even that prize i was telling you about like the archibald it's like a portrait painting prize you got to be able to paint a very classical portrait to win that prize and it's like the biggest art prize in australia and it's just for portraiture portraiture which is a bit weird you'd think it'd be like the turner the turner prize yeah. goes completely the other way it gets it gets pretty abstract at times yeah which i think is kind of cool it gives it, it's i don't know it gives a diversity of it lets a diversity of ideas come through you know so would you ever want to go back and do study is your time in the institutions come to an end if, if it all goes to shit man i'll just i'll just go back to uni <laughs> you I can guess. be a video editor I <laughs> I guess, yeah it's like i gotta get a real job someday no, I don't know. I'd I'd like to teach at some stage. So maybe I'll have to go back and do like some sort of, you know, teaching degree on top of it so I can be an art teacher. Um, but I always like pictured I'd do that when I was like 60. I just had no energy left. I think there's some level of responsibility for if you've had like a decent career, you should 
rather than just fucking running an ego your whole life and waiting till you're like washed up, maybe just like bow out grace, gracefully and teach the next generation how to, do, do you know what I mean? No. I, I say that, in the note, but I'll probably just be that bitter old teacher that's just like banging on about his fucking glory years. Every oh, every like, class is just a presentation. <laughs> that was every art teacher I ever had, so it's probably yeah, it's gonna happen to me. I, I speak about it in a romantic way, but I'll yeah. But you I'm can see the future. Shit, when I'm old, man, <laughs> I'm gonna be so bitter, bro. <laughs> There's a great story that. Uh... William William Faulkner, an American writer, after he won his Nobel Prize, he was he he was getting really old, and he decided to go teach at some college, like, and he was pretty old. And instead of yeah. teaching, he he just sat on the stage and just answered questions about his books like all day long. Oh. From students. <laughs> yeah and it was kind of and kind of like to me that's the cockiest fucking shit i've ever heard it's like a hundred grand a year just 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 showed up and just like this is what sound and the fury was all about like it's i'm not gonna say her name she still kind of has a profile in australia but one of our teachers i remember going in the class once and she spent the entire 45 minutes just like talking about the time she went to like new york for an exhibition in the 80s and she like met jeff kearns she met Jeff Kearns, and that was like, I remember looking down at the watch, she's like, dude, this story's been gone for like 35 minutes. Are you going to teach us anything? Like, what is happening right now? Everyone failed that so, year. Yeah. Can't, can't figure <laughs> out why. Oh, it's the worst. Wait, it wasn't yeah. a good story? No, it was just about Jeff Kearns like smoking a cigar. And I think there was a point to it, because she was saying like, you know, like Jeff Jeff Coons really knows how to like play up his image and he was he was he was smoking a cigar and wearing a suit and you know image is everything I don't know what the point so was So all the kids was, came in the next day weird. with like cigars and suits like just gimmicks Yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Um, Did you know did you ever want to do that did, was that something that you went down do you ever think you could get a get like a a gimmick a nice street art yeah do the yeah, hide the face, a little art gimmick. That's what that's what the scene needs more of. Cheap gimmicks. More gimmicks. Yeah. Nah, dude, I I'm I'm way too like self-conscious to do that. I would just feel real uncomfortable with it. Okay. Yeah, I just try to be myself. Dude. Just bring, get a cane. <laughs> I don't know. Turn but, up turn up to your show tomorrow night with a cane uh, and a top hat. What I'm trying to think what gimmick would actually work for me. Evan Evan, what would your gimmick be? Like- you know what? Like, I, obviously, I have like fucking plenty of gimmicks that like. But uh, yeah. no, I actually was gonna say that I'm kind of happy. Like the crew of people that we're sort of friends with, none of us really have gimmicks, which is cool. Like it makes me really happy. Yeah, no, it's it's a good way to be. Maybe I could just just really just play up the like Irish Catholic heritage and just become a raging alcoholic or something. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Uh. You would be the first person to play up the Catholic thing in a while, so you might as well. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, it's the closest thing to like ethnic whiteness you can, <laughs> you can get in Australia. Do you know what I mean? I'm oppressed. I'm Irish Catholic. Yeah. Clutching, so, dude, you're, clutching you're at white. straws there. You're white. You are clutching at straws there, right? So, yeah. So, where's, yeah. so you're, you're Irish... Go on, go, go break down your background yeah, for me. It, what is us. it? Oh, it's fucking going to make me t- Yeah, no, no, because we've talked about this before, because uh, I know part of it's, you've got family in Scotland? Yeah, I don't know, we have something. You have something in Scotland? Yeah. I can't remember uh, what it is. A little bit. No, my, my, my dad's from Derry in Northern Ireland. Yeah, and uh, my mother's uh, born in the UK to an Australian okay. father. Yeah, I'm, I was first generation, but my granddad actually was Australian. So there's been a bit of like back and forth happening between generations. Yeah, Wait to see the UK I'm, thought that's a bit shit I'm over very, there. We'll go back to Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, pardon my naivete, but is that, is that common? The back and forth? Uh, I don't okay. think so. No, I think once you went to Australia, <laughs> you're pretty far. much yeah, stuck yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you're pretty much fucked. This series, or it, well, sorry, I don't know if it's a series. The the kind of this new concept behind the glass 
um is that something that's going to be continuing for a while because i i i assume the feedback you got from that was ridiculous because it was it was that, that that work looks incredible yeah so i've been doing these paintings with kind of this kind of be bezel glass effect really happy with how they're coming out definitely going to keep going with it um but they're, they're really challenging and they take a long time to paint they're really fiddly so they're not particularly fun <laughs> to paint do you have a different approach in how you make something uh are you making them no because they're so detailed i have to use a projector to get them sketched out um it's yeah it's a lot more it's quite methodical you can't be free or loose with it at all I, I quite i do like expressive painting and i kind of like having fun and making a mess which i find you can't really do with that bezel glass effect that i've been doing so i'm going to keep going with it but I, i'm going to try not to make it the central part of my practice because that could be your gimmick it's going to be a gimmick and it's just not going to be not no. going to be fun anymore you know for me painting has to be fun i think that was a really nice direction really nice turn what 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 triggered that uh it was just a vibe during the lockdown man yeah i i, I remember yeah just uh everything it was just kind of that feeling um particularly being stuck in australia of just feeling like you're in a bubble kind of looking out um and just kind of witnessing the world through the news of the tv screen for the first time and kind of feeling like there was you kind of weren't in control of the situation uh i don't know what that just kind of became the kind of motif that felt right for the moment also i just found a like a small panel of bezel glass outside my studio oh perfect so it was a good prop yeah i was just kind of playing around with like putting my hand behind it i was like this is actually kind of cool and it kind of just spread from there so it's a little bit of coincidence a little bit um yeah the feeling it, of the moment. i was trying to figure out if there was an art history nod in there or something as you're saying this and it's dawning on me that this this might have been is this the longest time you've had to prep for a show or at least the longest time you've had to kind of conceptualize work because you because you did travel so much yeah it is actually i think it is yeah uh it's the longest time i mean there's a there's a couple of paintings in the show that were actually done like mid last year um so i've just kind of been picking up bits and pieces how do those works feel months. right now looking at them they Which feel just been... totally they feel just like a different you uh no because i was able to pick out the ones that fit do you know what i mean there's a couple of old ones i didn't put in I'm really happy with the works from last year. Yeah, they kind of feel like part of the narrative. One of them wrote, like is kind of about like the the bushfires. Um, th that was that was like pretty catastrophic. It just feels like so so long ago now, um, and that happened right before kind of COVID lockdowns. So they still feel part of the narrative of of the year. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, um, can't forget that. You, you, you go and burn to death. Yeah, yeah. It's been a real, it's been a strange year, man. So, do you think your murals will take on a new meaning for people? Because a lot of the time it is a single figure, almost reflective. Do you think that kind of begins to take on a new meaning for people walking through if they've been to a town that they've not been before? You know, the the context of when it was painted is gone. Oh, do do you mean like because it's when once this is all over, it's going to be. No, no, I mean, like, when, when you look at, I don't know, just there's something about when you look at work through the lens of the pandemic and how it changes how you interpret work. Because I remember, uh, you know, we, I was looking at Dan Witz's work and it was all these people huddled together in these mosh pits and it just felt like he's been doing that for right, years. Right. But, oh, but, looking, at, yeah, but yeah. looking at that now makes me feel, like, almost uncomfortable. And I'm wondering if you, feels, your yeah. work, because there's a lot of single figures, maybe has some kind of, like, n almost the opposite effect of what Dan Witz's work has. That's true, man. Just seeing crowds like in movies or like in any form of entertainment is just so anxiety inducing right now. It's like really bizarre. Yeah, I do feel there's going to be like, uh, this is going to be pretty, I mean, obviously it's going to be pretty watershed moment. I feel it's going to be kind of like life after COVID and there's going to be life before COVID. And those moments come along every 10 years or so. I, rem I remember like, there's kind of like like 9-11, for example. But there's like life before 9-11, there's life after that. The financial crash felt a little bit like this. 
So I think, um, yeah, COVID's going to be the same. And it's definitely going to be like this, like the work that's painting during COVID is going to have an interesting feeling. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens after this. And, um, yeah, if it does feel like what was happening before COVID was kind of naive in, in the sense that, like, I don't know, just like... <clears throat> like traveling and, and painting murals and producing public art in different countries kind of became just the, the, the norm for so many artists. And this kind of really community, this community kind of built around it. We've got to wait and see, but I feel like maybe moving forward, we're going to be looking back on that time, just going like, wow, we were so naive. Just think we could just travel the world all the time and fucking live this frivolous bullshit lifestyle. Or even like we were doing it and we didn't value it enough. Maybe we'll appreciate it more now. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, there's definitely going to be like a, a before and after. I feel, you know, like the 90s kind of felt like that as well. Like before 9-11, like do you remember like the Cold War was over? There was nothing really to be afraid of. You could just like enjoy fucking like bullshit ass, like just entertaining movie. Like everything just, just kind rabid of, capitalism everywhere. And it's like, whatever, it's happening. <laughs> just rabid <laughs> capitalism. We're still getting like that sugar hit, unchecked capitalism. The financial right. crisis hadn't happened. Everybody was making the money. rise of Trump. Fucking, yeah, the neo, neoliberalism, like sugar <laughs> hit from the tax cuts was just like working its way through the fucking society. Who knew there was going to be a payback for that? <laughs> Yeah, who fucking knew? Fucking Jeff Goldblum and all the big uh, movies. I mean, life was just fantastic. Tarantino was just making pure pulpy entertainment that was just fun Uh, and violent and pointless. Steve Moranis. Is that his name? Steve Moranis. Steve Moranis. Rick Moranis, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. He was in everything. Oh, dude, he was, yeah. He was, he was in that. Is that the guy yeah. with the glasses? Yeah. Those are the glory days. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that, <laughs> that, that there is. Wait, don't go, from, don't go from Rick Moranis to a serious point. <laughs> yes. Rick Moranis. I called him Steve. You're, you were going to go from Rick Moranis to like something really, really like important. I was going to try. I was going to try. Hold on to the dignity of the good radio juxtaposed name. <laughs> go for <laughs> 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 No, but I wonder yeah. if maybe we, like collectively we will look at the people that are doing that and participating in that kind of like if you if we come out of this and then suddenly everything goes back to normal and there's just this complete like, you know, business as usual, plain, 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 fair, 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 fair. If we collectively will be looking at that, I know maybe individually we can look at that, but as a as a collective, I wonder if that will be viewed in a slightly different way. I hope so. I hope people start questioning. I think like even just a little bit, you know, in the sense of maybe if, if there's a bit of an economic downturn, there's not as much money in the, in the, in the industry. Um, I think that might be healthy as well because it'll give people a chance to kind of step back, maybe start like taking street art back to kind of a, a gorilla level again, you know, painting more legal work on the street, painting, you know, like restructuring. I think a little bit of a shakeup is going to be a healthy thing. To, to kind of uh, uh, to, like burn off some of the dead wood a little bit. I don't, that, that doesn't sound right, but like just give people a chance to go back to experimenting again. Do, do you know what I mean? No, a hundred, a hundred percent. Because it was just in that total rhythm there that yeah. just felt, it, yeah, it just felt uh, a little, a little funny. bit felt, re- felt a little off. bit repetitive as well. You know, like there was just so many mural festivals happening. It was kind of back to back projects for a lot of people. And yeah, I think, I don't know if that's always healthy. Sometimes like a little bit of adversity is kind of a good thing, you know, and, it, and good art comes out of it. So um, I think it could be, it could be, I think, I, I, I do hope people, you know, kind of question things a little bit more moving forward and, you know. Street art has a tendency to have like almost echo colonialist mindset. A little bit. And then everything comes in waves as well. So, like a colonialist mindset? Is that? Yeah, I, uh, yeah that was, that was interesting. Uh, you, yeah. You, you, you explain yourself on that one. They're kind of like just going into other places, taking the walls, taking, taking, taking. I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And it's not about, it's not about deep engagement of your, your purpose or what it is you're trying to say or who you're trying to talk to. It's just about being in as many places, as big as possible across the world. 
Uh, that for me, that for me is colonialist. No, totally. That makes sense. Yeah, you know, uh, it becomes imposing as well. Just hey, I'm gonna fly to your city and just paint this giant thing. And do, do you know what I mean? You're gonna uh, love you it. You gotta love it. And if you don't, then fuck it. Too bad. Um, we don't talk about Russia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, I hope it gives people a chance to kind of question things a little bit, man, for sure. Yeah, like this, the street art world felt a little bit like a runaway freight train for a minute there. There was just like so much happening and like so much money circulating throughout it all of a sudden and not always like people coming in without the best intentions. Um, and yeah, it, it, they're, they're, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know where to go with that. How do you feel about being labeled when, when people call you a street artist? Does that bother you? No. So something you've actively, because I know plenty of artists that have actively tried to distance themselves from that term and being associated with it. What about you? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of like a, like a cultural cringe happening around that term, street art, because it's become such a generic umbrella term that it doesn't, um, kind of almost doesn't mean anything anymore. But uh the yeah uh, the reality is i make work on the street i paint i, I would call myself a muralist um so a, yeah I, I don't know if terminology matters that much either yeah so if people want to call it this or that it doesn't bother me that much i just focus on being the best artist i can be and i, I still really like producing work in public you know if, if that means i gotta kind of play the street art card then like so be it but um yeah I'm glad we have more artists like you making work in the public, Finton. Uh, Thanks, man. I appreciate that, dude. That means a lot. Yeah, it means a lot. Even though we're talking about work on the streets, are you feeling pretty revived about the studio practice, though? Like, this is is kind of a, a, a... Just really, it seems like you got to have a little bit of fun this year. So I assume that this is something that you're gonna want, you're yeah. gonna keep pursuing pretty hard. And are you are you going in? Are you like a are you a seven day a week guy? Uh, six days a week, yeah, okay. pretty consistently. It's been yeah, it's been real fun like making work in the studio. It's nice making stuff that's like really like low stakes. Do you know what I mean? When you're making a a work in public, if it goes wrong, you can't really fix it man or you can't throw it away it's like stuck there do you know what i mean so there's very little room to experiment when you're making you know art on a large scale um so like fuck that's been great about this year man it's just it's just been really like low pressure and i've just been able to experiment for the first time in like four four or five years i've just really had fun and um being in a space where i've been like allowing myself to fail do you know what i mean and um, if a painting doesn't work out, I can just chuck it away and start a new one. And, you know, I can work on small studies. And um, it's been really, yeah, liberating to kind of work in a kind of low-pressure environment and just be able to take my time. So um, I'm going to just really try and, like, force myself to kind of, like, give myself those breaks in the, in the coming years. That, that you just kind of said something so important there the idea of failure being part of an artist's development absolutely yeah and yeah. i think if you don't give yourself that space to be allowed to do that it is it's going to hinder your creative development completely yeah i think it's how it's how you plateau really um and it's difficult because once you establish yourself as an artist people either you're kind of so busy that you don't have time to experiment because you know you've got shows you're working towards or got work you got to produce but also you kind of get you can get pigeonholed a little bit or people kind of want you to produce work in a certain way right um, it's almost like it's almost yeah. like you become a like a muralist who's just making paintings for a gallery show it's like this, the the aesthetics and the the practice doesn't change that much like you don't even get an opportunity to like break away from what you're doing yeah at all yeah and uh yeah just i I did man i kind of forgot a little bit like how important it is to give yourself space to fail and giving yourself time time to fail as well do you know what i mean um just setting setting aside time to kind of just have fun and if you fuck it up it doesn't matter it's good yeah and we live i think like it's, it's hard, particularly in the age of social media as well. Like everything has to be documented and 
posted online and you know so many people are making work on the streets that it's it's kind of hard to to give yourself that that time so yeah that's that's the best thing i think that like in terms of my like development that's the, definitely the best thing that's happened this year it's been a, it's been a real shit year but um it's been one good one good part of it you know yeah yeah are we going to end on that <laughs> If you are sitting here looking for some extra Fintan love, be sure to check out the Vantage Point podcast, which has an interview with Fintan that came out just before this one. We've deliberately tried to take this in a different direction here where possible so that you guys can get yourself a double helping of Fintan right now, wherever you are. That actually just sounded a bit creepy. Nothing Makes Sense Anymore is on at the Backwoods Gallery and runs through December in Melbourne. Hit the socials for full details. Till next time, stay safe. Take care of each other. Peace. I might not be a man of the sea, but did you just say shark helicopter? <laughs>